Walter Wilson here, and welcome to Homebrewing DIY. Today, we're talking to a great friend and longtime homebrewer, Justin Saba. He is the winner of many gold medals and the maker of great beers. And today, we're going to talk about all things brew kettles, how to choose one, how to modify one to your needs, and dive into what we both use for our setups. We're going to get started on brew kettles when we return. Clean Brewery is the key to making great beer that doesn't get contaminated. Do you use a glass or plastic carboy for your fermentation? Did you know that getting your carboy clean can be tough, especially removing the crucin ring? Even with traditional carboy cleaning tools, it can take a lot of time and not get your carboy completely clean. Well, today there's a new tool that can easily clean your carboy and do it fast, and that tool is called a scrubber ducky. Scrubber duckies are a new magnetic carboy cleaner that are easy to use and get the cleaning results required in brewing. Drop a magnetic scrubber into your carboy and be able to scrub away all of the grime in that hard to clean cruisin. They are no match for scrubber duckies and you can get yours today at scrubberduckies.com. Once again, head over to scrubberduckies.com. Welcome back to Homebrewing DIY. This is a podcast where we discuss the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing. Contraptions, gadgets, parts, this podcast covers it all. Today we're talking with Justin Saba, a very close friend and longtime homebrewer, about picking out a great brew kettle and the different options out there. We will also discuss the different modifications that you can make and discuss our current setups. Support the podcast by clicking on the support link in the description. Any support helps keep us on the air and generally makes this podcast better. Feedback is always appreciated. Ask any homebrew questions, feedback on the show, or just say hi. I would love to hear from you at podcast at homebrewingdiy.beer. That's podcast at homebrewingdiy.beer. Before we jump into our talk with Justin, I'd like to talk about how I'm going to approach this podcast. Personally, I'm a techie homebrewer. I love electronics that help improve my beer. Maybe it's my background in tech, but it's just the way I think. Over the years, I've built a ton of projects that were beer-related, starting with my kettle, to my fermentation chamber, to my digital beer menus in my house. I've always felt that this is just as fun as brewing itself. So, to get started, we're going to focus on that DIY aspect of homebrewing. We may at some point discuss ingredients and beer making, but right now we're going to discuss equipment, mostly DIY equipment. 
So that being said, let's not put it in a box and see where the show takes us. I'm going to have lots of friends and guests on the show talking about the projects that they've built. And listeners, if you've built something that you want to share, I'm open to having you on the show as well. Just shoot me an email at podcast at homebrewingdiy.beer. Once again, that's podcast at homebrewingdiy.beer. All right, let's get talking to Justin Saba. Justin's a very close friend and a very experienced home brewer. Justin agreed to hop on the show from Salt Lake City, Utah, and discuss one of the most basic parts about homebrewing, and that's brew kettles. Justin, welcome to Homebrewing DIY, and how are you today? Thank you, Coulter. Thanks for having me on. Doing great. That's awesome, man. Uh, so what what I would like to maybe ask you first is, you know, we all started somewhere, and uh, what would you say your first brew kettle looked like? <laughs> well, it was a... It was actually... I bought a, a homebrew kit um, from Midwest Supplies, and it came with a, a five-gallon thin stainless steel kettle. Um, it was kind of flimsy, and so um, I think I brewed in it once uh, with extract, and then I quickly bought a more sturdy uh, stainless steel uh five gallon kettle <laughs> and uh so you know that that was pretty much it for the uh, for the extract brewing um but yeah so i used that that for a while um doing extract brews um i probably did four or five i would i think um on that and it worked out great i mean it was a nice nice kettle to to use i i wouldn't <laughs> I would I would definitely suggest you know spending a little extra money to get a, a more sturdy kettle if you can. Um, I, I know they're making them pretty reasonably priced nowadays, but um, I, I just think it's kind of a no-brainer. It just seemed like um, and I, and I burned I on my first batch I kind of burned the bottom of the kettle, uh, the wort in, in the kettle, and it because it was so thin. So yeah, enough said on that. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh picking out the right type of, you know, thickness of stainless steel can make a huge difference in the quality of the just the way that the heat is absorbed into the kettle, right? Yeah, I I think so. Um I mean, I could have I probably could have been a little more careful with that 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 thin one, but it was uh I don't know, it just seemed like it was just going to fall apart. When you started out brewing and you were doing extract, what? How did you get the wort out of the kettle into your fermenter? And you know, were you using the glass carboy? Did you have a funnel? What kind of you know? How how did you actually move the wort into whatever you used to ferment it? Okay, so what I would do is um, after I was done boiling it, I would cool it down with. Uh, I, I had a I kind of made an immersion chiller with. Uh, 
some copper tubing I bought at the hardware store. So I would get it. I I, I would cool it down um, with you know water moving through that emerging cooler, and then and then I would just basically uh, uh, because my batch was a five gallon batch. Um, I only had like two and a half gallons or so of wort. Um, so I had to actually bump up the volume. And so what I did is I added um, like distilled water into a, like a, it's, it was like a six and a half gallon bucket uh, with that uh, Midwest supplies kit I had. And, um, and then I just dumped the wort in uh, right on top of it. Um, and it kind of was nice because it kind of started aerating it right away uh, by dumping it into that water. And so, yeah, I mean, it was pretty easy. I just dumped it in. Okay. So you had a bucket, you would just take the cooled wort and then just dump it straight into the bucket. Yeah. And then added water to it to top it up. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And then give it a, and then shake it up pretty good. You obviously said you did four or five batches you know, extract. I think a lot of homebrewers started off that way. When you went all grain, how did you pick a kettle then? Well, I I went big. Um, so I decided. I, what I did is I kind of kind of knew the method I wanted to brew with all grain. I wanted to do brew in a bag. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, brew in a bag is a great method. Yeah, and. So I needed a I needed a way because brewing a bag is just a one vessel brewing, um, and so I needed a pretty big kettle because I was doing a full volume brew. Um, so you know you just add all the water that you're going to brew with to the to the grains in a big in a big bag in that in that kettle, and so I had to pick. Uh, uh, about a 15 gallon kettle for that. Cause I wanted to do, you know, six gallon batches, but I also wanted to be able to do stuff that's not like that high gravity, but you know, it was pretty decent gravity. So I needed a big enough kettle to accommodate for the grain and the water. Um, so that's what I picked and, uh, worked out pretty good. Actually. Um, I, I bought an aluminum kettle. It was actually aluminum. Um, and off of, uh, Amazon, it's uh, it's been great. Um, what was the first modification that you made to it? Well, first thing I did was drill a hole for a valve because if you can imagine dumping a full volume of wort into a bucket um, is just kind of you know it's kind of a pain in the ass. Um, you know, you're, it's a lot of weight. Um, and there's a risk of you know spilling it so i wanted to have a valve at the bottom of the kettle so i could just easily drain it into the into the fermenter so yeah i i, I drilled a hole in it and added a um a a ball valve a weldless ball valve with gaskets and washers on both sides and uh you know it doesn't really it, it works out pretty well um i don't really have any problems with leaks at all uh, i know that's a complaint from a lot of people but you you don't want to over tighten the the ball valve on it um otherwise it could could tend to leak I, I know that's an issue okay and and drilling that hole like did you just get a big drill bit or was it a step bit what what, what did you actually use to drill a hole through your kettle 
Yeah, so I use the step bit, um, and uh, but I started out with a small uh, drill bit. I think it was like a one eighth inch drill bit. What I did is I marked a hole at the bottom of the kettle with a pen, and aluminum is pretty soft, so um, you also need some kind of lubricant to drill with, you know, because um, it'll it'll get pretty hot and it tends to seize up on the metal. So with aluminum, though, you can use dish soap. So that's what I used. I just put dish soap on there and I I drilled like kind of a starter hole with a small drill bit and then and then I started using the step bit until I got to the hole size needed for that particular ball valve. Okay, and so then you put the weldless ball valve in and you're able to then just drain straight from your kettle if you put like your uh, burner up on like a riser or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. So I had these cinder blocks that I set that I that I you know that my burner would sit on top of, and it gave me enough vertical space to. Um, I just had a tube, a silicone tube from my from the kettle valve, and then going right into the fermenter, and it worked great. Have you added things like a temperature gauge to your kettle? Yes, I did the same thing with that. Soon after I added that, the valve, I, I, I got tired of sticking my thermometer in the, in the wart um, to figure out my, my temps that I needed for mashing. And so I sprung a little more money and, and drilled the same hole just a few inches up from the other hole. Um, cause you didn't want it too high cause you need it to still be in the war. You know, the, the thermometer has to be in the ward of course, um, to register the temperature correctly. So I just kind of gauged it. So I, I went a little below six gallons of wort uh, volume in that kettle where I drilled the hole. And th- you said that that is the current, uh, kettle you're using for your brew in a bag today. Yes. Yeah. And that was from... <laughs> I think I started doing that in 2013, I would say. I think that's when I started my all grain. Um, oftentimes I thought about upgrading to a better kettle. I just haven't had the time or need for it yet. Well, I've had your beer and I think that uh, you do just fine with that kettle. Thanks. Yeah, I know. A lot of people have their opinions about aluminum and I was a little worried at first, but I didn't have a lot of money to to spend on a kettle, and it really has no effect on the flavor uh, at all, as as you know. Yeah, I, I'll say that like the first time I ever bought a kettle, I used an aluminum kettle as well. I had a small aluminum kettle for when I did extract batches. The first time I got a turkey fryer, I had a turkey fryer that came with a seven-gallon aluminum kettle. And I did a three-gallon brew-in-a-bag batch in that, and it was great. It worked really well. It was a good kettle. And then, as you know, I have a 15-and-a-half-gallon stainless steel kegel, used an angle grinder to cut out the top, uh, step it to cut through and put in the ball valve, the same as you. I have a Blickman temperature gauge as well in mine. Also, cool like heat shield for the, the temperature gauge, that uh, some screws into the bottom collar of the keg with some just kind of flat scrap metal to keep around it. It looks kind of like a robo kettle, but 
does the job and does a really great job. Yeah, that, that thing's a beast. It, it it's great, and you're still using that, huh? Yeah, still use that uh, brew in a bag, same as you, and uh, I feel like I I make really great beer with it. The the thing I like about the Kegel versus like a you know a thin stainless steel or even aluminum is that it's just really sturdy. It's just a really good quality stainless steel that they use in old decommissioned kegs. If you are going to make a kegel or kettle out of an old keg, it's always good to use a decommissioned keg that uh, isn't in use anymore. You don't want to go down to your liquor store, pay a deposit on a keg, and then use that keg. Technically, you you are stealing that keg from the brewery. And so therefore, you want to get a keg that isn't being used anymore, that is too old to be used to be for beer, maybe has uh, problems holding pressure. And so therefore you would go in, use an angle grinder to cut the top off and get a good circle that's going to fit your lid. And then from there, you're going to have a really great kettle. And so I can't recommend kegels enough. Yeah, you know, when I brewed with you um, and lifting that kegel, it was definitely uh, sturdy. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and, and cleaning it's also very easy. You know, you get in there and uh, there are days when uh, you get things like beer stone in your kettle, specifically after a lot of repeated use. And uh, if I get in there with, uh, you know, PBW or OxyClean to, to clean it out, hit it with a little steel wool and it just like peels right off and gets really clean and real nice. And, and I would say that that is one another advantage over aluminum being able to use steel wool because uh, I would definitely scratch my kettle with that. And so I, I use a uh, softer material like uh, a sponge with a, with that, you know, how the, the sponges, they, some of them come with uh, kind of like a rough side on one end and, and then the smooth soft sponge side on the other. That's what I use when I, when I need to get grime off, I kind of, you know, I lightly scrub with that rougher side with the aluminum, grain of the aluminum around the pot to, to get the stuff off but so I have to be a little more careful than you I think which is one disadvantage yeah totally the other thing is is that with aluminum if you uh, do things like leave OxyClean or PBW in it for too long it can also pit it yep yep that is correct I I have a few pits in mine already <laughs> um, probably from that very thing yeah, I was just going to say, have you? what other kind of modifications can you think of for a kettle that uh, somebody might want? Uh, well, I, I'd say maybe a, a volume gauge or... Um, a sight glass? Yeah, like a sight glass, so you can see your volumes that way makes it a lot easier to see where your volume's at than trying to look on the inside. Yeah, the the sight glass is kind of like a a little addition you make on the outside of the keg. And as you feel it, it tells you how much volume is actually in the keg. So, like, for example, if you have five gallons of water in there, um, you would be able to see it on the outside of the keg through a, a glass tube that comes out or and, and kind of raises as you feel or lower the water level, right? Right, right. Or And then also, I know 
Whirlpooling is a big thing now um, in, in, brew, in the brewing world. Whirlpooling hops and seamed kettles modified for a whirlpool port. Uh, but if you're going to do that, you also need a pump to pump the wort up through the whirlpool port so that it makes a nice, you know, circular motion. Yeah, so they would put a port in the side and uh, at an angle coming in, right? And so then pump the wort out of the three-ball valve in the front and back in and recirculate, but get, do it in a whirlpool motion so that you can kind of collect the hops at the center, right? Right, yeah. You would probably have to put a um, on the inside of that port, you would need like an angled tube so that it the, the wort flows at an angle so that it, you get that whirlpool effect. If you just try to put it on the side, if you just drill a hole and shove wort through there, it's just not going to do much of anything except bubble or uh, move around in a erratic fashion, you know, so. Yeah, and I, I know that both you and I squeeze our bags uh, when we brew in a bag, but there's a, a lot of uh, brewers out there that do recirculating mashes. Why don't, why don't you talk about what recirculating a mash is? You, you've got... Um, a pump where you're pumping the wort up from the bottom from the 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 ball valve of the kettle and, and somehow pump it up to the top of the of the bag back into the into the wort again so that you get the wort extraction more more efficiency that way yeah exactly like the idea would be you would maybe put a a tomb that goes up to some sort of like shower head at the top and that kind of uh uh, sprays warp over the top of the mash to kind of really mix it and make sure that it's touching all of the grain. What what other kind of uh, kettle modifications can you think of that you've seen out there? Well, I've, I've seen, uh, as far as like the lid, I've seen where people have angle grinded a notch in the lid so that they can put their emergent chiller in there in the wart and have their lid shut without having the lid dangling off the side you know like without a big air gap you know because when you're chilling your wort you know you're worried about that you know stuff floating into the wort as it's cooling and that's not what you want doing that you know will help provide a better seal around your wort as it's cooling that's awesome i've actually never thought about that but uh that's definitely an issue i have i have a immersion chiller and when i put the lid on it kind of just is propped open just taking a small notch out of it would probably solve that issue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've thought about it myself, but uh, I'm kind of lazy. <laughs> I think, I think that's just part of, uh, if it, if it hasn't broken something yet, is it really worth the effort? Sometimes that is the dilemma we all have. Right. 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 And I, you know, and, and there's a lot to be said about the speed at which we cool our wart, you know, with our immersion chillers. And, um, I, I've got, you know, as long as you're chilling it down pretty quickly, I can't see, you know, an infection taking over as long as you're practicing good sanitization. Yeah, I I have one of those uh, jaded, uh, the Hydra immersion chiller, and it chills so fast that sometimes I actually have to, uh, to be honest, if I want to do a hop stand or like re- a bunch of late edition hops, it almost chills too fast. And so therefore... I'll just do a hop stand and not even touch the immersion chiller just because I, I can go from boiling to 
you know, pitching temperature, depending on the temperature of my groundwater within like 10 minutes. And so that that's definitely something you want to think about is that if you, if you're trying to get like a lot of late edition hops, maybe adding that hop stand in so that, you know, you can adjust if you have a really fast immersion chiller, like knowing the time of your immersion chiller is pretty important. I think. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your chiller is amazing. Yeah. Uh, I can't, I couldn't recommend that thing enough. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. One of the things that people have, you know, are starting to add are automatic brewing systems, such as like, uh, like I've seen the craft beer pie, right. Where, um, they're adding PIDs to their kettles and running them off of raspberry pies to be able to kind of manage temperatures and heating elements and those types of things. Right. So like example would be if you wanted to go electric adding a heating element to your kettle could be one way at, to get rid of gas and be able to brew indoors and not have to, you know, have your brew outside in the cold. Right. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I've heard of that. Um, people using the pie for that and yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Have you ever, uh, thought about adding a heating element to your system and going electric? I have, um, you know, uh, for me though, it's, uh, I, I, I have a, I have a way I could do that. I just, uh, I just haven't. And, um, it's just time and, you know, it's just like anything else. Um, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. Right. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Uh, although, although it does sound appealing, um, having an electric and not having to fill my tank up of propane every couple of brews, having to go down to the gas station to fill up my tank. Um, and you know, that, that would definitely be a plus, I think, um, to doing that. Yeah, totally. Worry about, um, you know, you need the, probably a two twenty outlet to do a really, to, to really do it right. I would think, Although there are or there are electric kettles out there now that they're building that that'll just take 120. It just takes longer to get up to boil and your mash temps. But um, uh, but you know for the volume that I have, it would probably be better to have a 220 than a than a 120. Yeah, I uh, I would agree. I I definitely want to go that road just because of the size of the batches that I make. If I were to go electric, definitely has crossed my mind as well, but I still, it, just like you, haven't really pulled the trigger on that as well. Any kind of cool home brewing projects that you're currently working on? Not at the moment. Uh, I'm not. Uh, you know, the I'm really proud of the, the brew pie setup that I made uh, five or six years ago uh, with you, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but that's been about the, the biggest thing I've done, um, in a while. Um, I, I feel like obviously next time I'm in Salt Lake, I would love to brew a batch with you, Justin, but the, I can't thank you enough for hopping on and having a talk with me about, uh, brew kettles and, and what you've done and what our current setups are and really just the things you can do to a brew kettle, and uh, there's a lot of modifications you can make. Yeah, it certainly is. I, I thanks so much for having me on, and 
talking about my my meager attempts at brewing. <laughs> They're all meager attempts at brewing. <laughs> well, thanks for being on the show, and uh, uh, we'll we'll definitely have you on again and and talk all things beer. Yeah, thanks, Coulter. Appreciate it. Once again, I'd like to thank Justin for taking the time to be on the show. Please note that if you want to follow the show on social media, you can search for the podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter under the handle at homebrewingdiy. Once again, that handle is at homebrewingdiy. And if you like the show and want to leave feedback, you can always send an email, podcast at homebrewingdiy.beer. That email again is podcast at homebrewingdiy.beer. We have this really cool feature that if you want to leave a voice note for the show, there is a link in the description. Just click on the link and leave us a message. I'd love to hear from you. Last, if you'd like to support the show, please use the link in the description. Any amount helps and keeps this podcast going strong. And thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on Homebrewing DIY.